Red Rocks Church, welcome to fall. Nope, we're starting over. Red Rocks Church, welcome to fall. Thank you. Thank you. Help a brother out, please. Arvada, Lakewood, Evergreen, Littleton, Brussels across the pond. We love you guys so much. And let's do this at all of our campuses right now. Let's give such a gracious welcome and round of applause to all the men and women at God Behind Bars. We love you guys so, so much. Love you guys. Grateful that we get to worship with you every week. I'm going to do this. I do this every now and then. We're in a kind of family series. This is, this is a series we do every year. This year we called it I Am Home. Next year we'll preach from the same story and we'll call it something different. But we're doing a lot of family talk in this series about who we are and who we want to be and what we think most honors God. And so I'm going to do something real quick. I'm going to do what's called the sermon before the sermon because we've got some extremely important fall family business to take care of. Our church does not do what it's supposed to do to honor God and to make heaven more crowded by being a front porch for prodigals because that is who and what we are. It does not happen just because I get to get up here or Sean and preach and because bands at all of our campuses get to stand up here and sing. None of that happens before hundreds and hundreds of you guys are already serving behind the scenes. So I wanna do this before we go any further. At all of our campuses, if you in this room serve at anyone one of our services right now. Would you stand up? We want to honor you. All campuses, stand up. We want to clap for you. Thank you. Every campus, stay standing. We got more. Let's go. These are the people that watch your kids. These are the people that make your coffee. These are the people that keep you from losing your mind in the parking lot. These are the people that do so much more, and we can't do this without you guys. And so we don't take enough time to publicly say thank you to you guys and all you do behind the scenes. And so we just want to make sure that we recognize what an integral part of the team that you guys are. And not only that, but fall, it's, it's this biblical cyclical cycle. By biblical cyclical cycle. That's awesome, Chad. Good, it's going to be a good weekend. It's biblical, though, that in the fall, there's just a particular degree of harvest uh, in the kingdom that we just don't see the rest of the year. It's kind of like in the farming world. God has different seasons for different things. We work, we work real hard during one season so that we can reap a harvest in another season and fall for whatever reason. God just always does incredible things at our church. And one of the things he does at our church is he keeps bringing more people through the doors than we had in the summer. That said, we need more volunteers than just stood up at all. All of our campuses, we need more people to join the team, okay? And I'm telling you, it is an awesome team that you're joining, and there is so much blessing when you start to take ownership in the local church experience. There is so much blessing when you finally start to catch a vision and realize that every time you're serving and someone in this room or at the room in your campus is giving their life to Jesus, you may under-spiritualize it. You must think, ah, oh, making coffee's not a big deal. Greeting someone at the door is not a big deal. Listen to me. First impressions are huge when prodigals are coming home scared and nervous and worried because they're maybe on the back end of a really big failure like we've been reading about in this story, right? Prodigals are walking through our door every weekend that have so much on the line coming through these doors. And when you greet them and it's genuine and you're excited to see them and then they get God's one ordained gifted drug coffee from someone else. 
and the guys in the parking lot and the women in the parking lot aren't just telling them where to go, but they're smiling and they're waving. And when some prodigal's coming home to Jesus and it's a worn out single mom and she gets just an hour and 15 minutes to drop her beautiful yet needy children off at Kids Rock and just get a little break, right? That's what we're providing so that people can not only come here, but when they come here, their hearts are prepped by the time we get up here, not just to hear the word of God, which is intense sometimes, but to receive it through the power of the Holy Spirit. What you guys do when you serve is a way bigger deal than you think. This weekend is a new serve launch. It's a new opportunity for you to be a part of the team. And I am just, I am just asking you as one of your pastors and one of the people doing church life with you, family member with you, I'm just asking if you would consider at all campuses this weekend stepping up and signing up to be a part of the team. We would love to have you. All your campus pastors at the end of the service are going to give you more information. Second thing is this in the sermon, before the sermon, and this is equally, if not even more important to the lifeblood and the health of our church. It is super important what we do right now, what we do here on the weekends. But it is a monologue. Let's not forget that, right? You guys are sitting in rows, unfortunately having to stare at me and listen to me talk to you about God. This is a super biblical and important moment that the Bible calls us to do together. But it is to a large degree a failure if it just stays at the point of a dialogue, monologue, right? Because God didn't create the monologue to stay the monologue. He created the monologue so he could have a dialogue. And this is why our life groups at Red Rocks Church are so important. And because we're growing like we do in the fall, we need more life groups. And our life group team, led by BZ and all the incredible people on our team, have worked so hard. And they have raised up 200 new leaders that are ready this week. This Tuesday night at the Arvada campus, the Littleton campus, and at the Lakewood campus at 7 p.m. Everyone say 7 p.m. At 7 p.m., there is going to be, I don't know exactly, I forgot what we call it, that's embarrassing, but it's basically a life group trade show. That's what we'll call it, right? Life group speed dating, whatever you want to call it. And you're going to show up at 7 p.m. I'm sure they're going to have some amazing coffee, tea, water, uh, snacks, whatever you want. It's going to be awesome. You're going to sit in there for about 15 minutes and you're going to hear the heart of why we do life groups, why they're so important to the health of our church. And then after that, it's going to be trade show time. And all those 200 leaders represented at the different campuses are going to be out in the foyers and they're going to have tables and you're going to kind of get to go and you're going to get to very graciously vet them. Remember, they're putting themselves out there as well. And you're going to get to vet them and ask them where their group meets and what it's about and what their heart is. And they're there to love you and to answer your questions. And we're believing that that we're going to have a thousand new people join life groups this semester with 200 people leading those life groups. And God is going to continue to bless this place as we don't just meet on weekends and sit in rows for a monologue, but we meet during the weekdays and we sit in circles to have a dialogue, which is equally important. And through that, we believe those are both two integral parts of making disciples for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. (sighs) All right. You guys ready to pray and get the sermon after the sermon? Let's do that. All of our campuses, let's give this time over to God. God, we just put uh, yet again your word in your hands. God, this is not my word, and I preach about it broken. I preach about it incomplete, God, and I know that, but your Holy Spirit luckily 
ties up all the loose ends perfectly. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you lead this moment. God, that your gospel would be drenched in grace this weekend. God, as we look at an incredibly intense subject in the story of the prodigal son, God, I pray that people would walk out not heavier, people walk out lighter because of what we conclude from the moral of this story. God, we thank you, Jesus, that your grace is so beyond what we can even fathom. And we ask this weekend that you would just give us one more dimension, one more depth of who you are and how much you love us. And if we can walk out of our respected campuses with that, God, this is a success. So we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Everyone said, amen. amen. So this week uh, at the Brugman household, uh, a couple days ago on Thursday, is basically a holiday in our house. This is a very sacred day in the Brugman household ever since we've had children that are in school because at Ute Meadows Elementary in Littleton, Colorado, we had on Thursday what is called field day. Any of you guys know what I'm talking about, field day? All right, yeah, that's special to my kids. Brussels campus, uh, if you're unfamiliar with field day, maybe it's just an American thing, I don't know, but you guys are meeting right now at the St. John's Catholic School, and it's a beautiful facility that they get to meet at, probably our nicest campus. So basically, in America, what field day is, Brussels, is they will shut down for a whole day all academia, which in, to me is just beautiful, right? No math, no science, no history, no nothing. The only thing you do is compete, and I wasn't good at anything thing in school except competing. I loved it. And so field day was made for the Brugmans, right? And so this is a special day and they do all these little pseudo Olympic kid events in elementary school. They give them popsicles. We get to take them out for lunch in between all of it. It's just an awesome day. We had beautiful weather on Thursday and my son is in kindergarten, Ben. And so he went for the first two hours and then my third grader and fifth grader were the second part of the day after we took him to lunch. So I I was there that morning doing the dad thing, super proud. Now, Benji is an amazing kid. Remember, he's the one that uh, has the whistle lisp and cuss every now and then. We're working on him. <laughs> has so many gifts, so many talents, so many abilities. He is not athletic, right? Field day does not lend itself to him, although he loves field day, and here's why. He hasn't lived enough life for someone to tell him that medals and stars and where you finish matters. So he's out there and he's just having a blast and he's taking last place virtually in everything, right? At one point, he's running their little equivalent. It was like a 60-yard dash and he's in dead last and I'm talking with his PE teacher and I just stopped talking and I go, hey, Benji, I love you, buddy. That's on me, man. That's not your fault. That's a total genetic issue, man. You're good. Just have fun. He got through waddling through the back of the line. Kid had the biggest smile on his face. He turned to one of his friends, and all they did, they, they, they get these things, right? And after every race, they get stars. And if you get, if you get win, you get a blue star, and then a green star, and then next place is a yellow star, and then I think an orange star, and then I think if you're like Benji, you get a red star, right? And so on the back of his, there's only one blue star, and it's for the long jump. Well, his fifth grade older brother was the volunteer lead for the long jump. <laughs> right? <laughs> Hashtag collusion much? <laughs> I love that about his older brother though, right? Looking after him. The chicken chuck, last place. Oval race, last place. Hurdles, second to last place. Sack race, there's not even a star on there. He may have needed an extra popsicle at that point. I don't know. 
Literally the only first place was blue. But then in the afternoon, we get to sweet Janie Delaney, my eight-year-old, third grader. And this girl is an athlete, right? If, if I'm tempted to vicariously live through a child, it is Jane when it comes to competition because she doesn't even know she's good. She doesn't even care. She's just winning literally everything. And I was so proud, but I'm the pastor in Littleton and the parents there know it. So I can't act proud right? I got to act all cool. Like, isn't it great that these kids are out in God's nature and just enjoying themselves? And how wonderful that community we get to do this. How's life, Chad? Great, wonderful. Just need to see these kids. Secretly, I'm like, Jane, now when you're kicking out of the start, I need you to thrust forward and I need you to go, right? I'm literally, that's, that's the real me, but I can't show that. So what I did was instead I filmed it to prove it. This is my daughter, Janie. Watch this. This is my girl, Janie Delaney. About to show up and show off in a field day race. Girl's been dominating thus far. Couldn't be more proud of her. She's uber competitive like her mother. Uber sweet and gracious like her father. Girl's about to throw down. I want you to watch this stride. I want you to watch her speed, her burst. It's gonna be incredible. Here we go. Go. Come on, girl. Go, girl. Go, girl. Go, girl. That's what we call first place. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Yep. Not here to have fun. We're here to win. <laughs> Give me a minute. <sighs> That's my real heart at field day. We're not here to have fun. We're here to win, right? And hey, as funny as that is, that is kind of the cultural caste system that we all have been born into. I think it's global to different degrees. But in America, man, we're winners, right? That's all we do. We win. There's no second. There's no third place, as Ricky Bobby says. First place only. That's it. Right? If you ain't first, you're last, he says. And, and, and these kids, as they get older, see, my daughter, she cared a whole lot about what the colors of her stars were. And then there's my fifth grade son. And he was going to dominate all day because my fifth grade son was held back. And so he's bigger and faster and super competitive too. And he had to go to the hospital this week and he had to take some medicine that unfortunately uh, made his bowels loose. And so he did the first race and that was his last race. And I'll leave it at that <laughs> to protect him. But I sat there and I watched not only how much the kids, as they got older, started to care about where they finished. I, I watched the parents and how much they cared. And I sat there knowing how much I even care. And I sat under the weight of that at a simple thing as innocent as field day. And I just was reminded of, of, of like, like God's heart for every single one of those kids out there. Like my son Benji, who got last place in almost everything. Do you understand that as his father, I could care less? When I was out there, honestly, he had such a smile on his face. He was enjoying the field so much and it had nothing to do with where he finished or what position he was in or what star he ended up with. It was just the fact that he got to be out in the field having a blast with other friends having a blast. And I was sitting there getting so convicted by God. It's like God was going, this is what I originally created people to do on planet Earth. This, how your son Benji in his childlike faith enjoys this moment 
is how before this stupid thing called sin got in the way, I wanted every one of us without all these stars and without all these rewards and without all these systems and without all these comparisons and without all these lanes we put each other in and make judgments about each other and about ourselves in. God's like, I just wanted you to enjoy the earth and the fullness thereof. I just wanted you to cultivate it and steward it. No competition, no trying to be better than someone else. Everybody effortlessly honoring each other's gifts and talents and abilities. That is God's original intent. And let me remind you, our job is to pray his original intent back to planet earth, right? On earth as it is in heaven. And we're in this series, if you're visiting with us, called I Am Home. And we're we're, we're for five weeks in Luke chapter 15. And it's this story or three stories, we're really camping for the most part on one story. It's these three stories about lost things being found. The first one Jesus tells, and we know the context is, Jesus is talking to a bunch of Pharisees. Teachers of the law. Rulers of the synagogue. Power players of the day. Jesus is talking to them, and they're watching him mix and mingle with sinners. And tax collectors. And this is something rabbis, you guys know this, we talk about it often, never did 2,000 years ago. This was an incredible no-no. And here's this weird rabbi out of nowhere. He's doing it all the time. And so they're starting to grumble. And Jesus says, all right, Pharisees, leaders, rulers, let me share my heart with you, okay? Let me preach to you this gospel that spits in the face of the way you've been living. So he tells a story about a lost sheep. And it kind of breaks the ice, kind of intro work. Then he tells a story about a lost coin and it starts to get a little more depth to it because he's making a point over and over. And then he finishes strong with what Mark Twain, arguably America's greatest writer to date so far, said is the single greatest, most important short story ever written. And he wasn't even a believer. And we call it the parable, excuse me, of the prodigal son. And that is a poor title we gave that for 2,000 years now of having our Bibles. That's a poor title. If anything, it should be called the parable of the prodigal God or the God of the prodigals. Or for our case today, because we're not going to look at the younger son anymore who's made all these destructive mistakes out in the world. We're going to look at the older son who's making equally, if not more destructive mistakes, but he never leaves home. And there's a bunch of us at all of our campuses that will relate even more to the older son than the younger son. I love the story of the younger son now that I'm 20 years removed from my younger son's story myself. But you know what I hate to hear about? The parable of the older son. You want to know why? Because 20 years into my walk with God, the greatest temptation I'm going to have right now isn't to go and destroy my life with drugs and alcohol and being all stupid and going out. The biggest way I'm going to destroy my heart is to take on this most toxic thing of the soul called self-righteousness. And that's what happens. If you're taking notes, we're going to call this sermon appropriately field day. Because it says this, so we know the sons come home. Him and the father had this big moment. The father ran out to him and he hugs him. And the kid's about to give him his resume. Like, can I just get a job with you? I know I can't be your son anymore, but can I at least be your servant? And the father won't even hear that kind of language. All he says, we know Sean read it the last couple weeks. He says, quick, bring him a ring. A ring was a symbolic of what family you're in. A ring had your family crest. The father's like, I'm proud for you to be in my family. 
despite all your mistakes. Bring a ring, bring a robe. We're going to clothe you in, 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 in cleanness again, righteousness, and bring those sandals. Sean talked about that last week, right? For my son was lost, now he's home. Go kill the fattened calf. Get some wine. Get some music on. We're going to party because he once was lost and now he's found, right? That's the, that's the story. And if I'm telling this short story, here's what I do. I end it by rolling some B-roll of them partying. A lot of slow motion, steak cutting, wine tipping, dancing, you know, slow, just powerful. And then you roll credits and it's done, right? Because, because that right there, it's all goosebumpy. We romanticize the kid in the front yard because we all know what it's like to need that kind of powerful grace. The problem, though, is Jesus keeps telling more of the story. And there's this other brother in the backyard. And what we're about to read, there's no goosebumps, you don't get all the fills with the older brother. You kind of hear it and it just kind of seems like, ugh, that's gross. That, that spirit, that demeanor, how could he be like that? But then the more you read it, you kind of start to go, I actually get him. He actually makes some sense with what he says. And then you start to think, wait, I can't relate to him because this is where the pastor always rips into the older brother. And if the pastor doesn't like him, then I can't like him. And if I relate to him, I can't admit it because surely there's something wrong with him. And this is where we pick up. We call this field day. It says, meanwhile, the older son was where? <laughs> See what I did there? In the field. <laughs> Let the field day commence. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, this weekend is a litmus test in this thing called self-righteousness. And one thing we know about the self-righteousness in all of us is self-righteous people hate music and dancing unless it's for them, right? Unless it's in their honor and unless it's the kind of music they love and unless the dancing is appropriate to their standards and likes and dislikes, right? So he hears music, he hears dancing, so he does this. He called one of the servants and asked him, hey, what's going on? Your brother has come home, the servant replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother, and here's another litmus test for self-righteousness in any of our hearts, is anger. Do you understand of all people on planet Earth, if there is one people group that should be the least angry and hostile group on planet Earth, it should be people who are products of a gift. We should be the least hostile and angry and argumentative people on planet earth because every day we breathe we know something that a whole lot of people on planet earth don't know yet it's a gift it's grace it's unmerited and it's undeserved favor nothing more nothing less except when he's self-righteous he becomes what angry because he's not getting his way and God's not doing what God's supposed to do the way he wants God to do it and this grace thing seems dangerous and it seems irresponsible and it seems too much and he's not having it so he what refuses to go in he misses the party everyone in there's having a blast they're eating till they're full, they're dancing, they're having a great time, they're catching up with the son who's been lost forever and now he's home and the self-righteous older brother who thinks he's entitled to something is actually the one who misses the party, not the rebellious one who was destroying his life. Isn't that interesting? Can we just think about that for a minute? Because this doesn't make sense to our natural human instincts and the way we were born into this world, does it? But what I know we're being taught here is that self-destructive behavior like the younger brother had isn't nearly as toxic and dangerous as self-righteous behavior. They're both bad. Don't get me wrong. 
No one's celebrating when someone goes, but here's, here's why God can work so much better with self-destructive behavior than with self-righteous behavior is because when you're in self-destructive behavior, you, there's no denying it, right? Eventually a famine came and he was at the end of his resource. Everything was gone. He had nothing left and now he finds himself living in an awful position so he can at least sit there and go, man, I had a home with a warm bed, and blankets and clothes and people that love me and I had a job and it paid and now I've lost all my money and I have nothing and I'm living with pigs how did I get here see at least people in self-destructive behavior the ones that the churches love to judge like crazy at least they're in a place where they can come to their senses like it said and go home self-righteous people are already home and they think they're owed something because they never left and that is way more toxic to a thriving, beautiful, enjoying, party-laden relationship with God. He's the one who misses it. And I love this. So the father, this is crazy. This is scandalous. The father went out to plead with him. To which I say, what? <laughs> if I'm the father who owns everything, and I just gave him two-thirds of the inheritance, because what Sean read the last two weeks was, it says, the father divided the inheritance amongst them. And we know from history, you can go study it online in a, in a second, that the younger son always got a third and the older son always got two thirds. The kid's rich. That kid could throw awesome parties on his own inheritance, more or less with the father's resource. That kid's got everything, but yet he's mad and the father loves him so much that he comes out to plead with him. Isn't that interesting? Pastors are notorious at ripping on Pharisees. I'm doing it tonight. We're notorious at using Pharisees as what not to do, right, in life and in Christianity. But can I remind us all that Pharisees back in the day that Jesus spoke so harshly to bore his image and he wanted them saved? He loved them. But isn't it amazing the tone difference between like a woman caught in adultery, the gentleness that Jesus restored her back? And the people that were called sinners and tax collectors, Matthews of the world that were tax collectors and were swindling money from people, there was a gentleness that Jesus called them to and brought them back. But then he gets to the, the pros of piety, the people who could outbehave all of us, and he has such a stern talking with them. Isn't that interesting? You would think the tone would be harshest with the people in the self-destructive mode, not the people in the self-righteous mode. But Jesus knows something we often forget. Self-righteousness is the greatest and the deepest and the last foe of the human heart to be conquered. Got to understand that. That is the single hardest, greatest thing that you and I will ever confront in our human soul and in our human spirit. The hardest part of our heart to recognize that it is broken and in need of the drenching love of Jesus Christ is not self-destructive behavior. It's self-righteous behavior. And so Jesus' tone was so strong. So he comes out and he loves that older brother and he pleads with him to come into the party. He's like, please don't miss a party because you're mad at your brother. We got a party going on there. I want, I want you to party. I want you to enjoy yourself. This whole expanse, this whole kingdom that we have, this whole thing that I've built for you and your brother, it's for us to enjoy. And you're making it about earning and you're making it about work. And he says this, he looked at his father and he said, look, 
all these years, and here's where we start to go, I know I'm not supposed to like this guy, but this actually makes sense, right? Here it is. Look, all these years, Dad, I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Translation, I've got blue stars all throughout field day. I'm supposed to be on the podium eating steak and drinking wine. Everyone's supposed to be dancing in excitement for me because I never broke your rules and I never left the house. Where's my party, right? Red Rocks, listen to me. Nothing will destroy the party known as the kingdom of God faster and more frequently than a spirit of entitlement. That is, that is the spirit that leads all of us to that self-righteous place is anytime you wake up, take your head off your pillow and ever think God owes us anything. He owes us nothing and yet we're about to see the father say, everything I have, I want you to have. Do you understand how life-giving to the soul it is when you know you're owed nothing and yet your father, your creator wants to give you everything? That's where real life is found. But somewhere along the line, like all of our hearts can do, this son, because he got a few notches on his belt. For us, it's I give, I tithe. I've done it for decades. I've served faithfully. My church attendance is spotless. Man, you should see some of the charities I work with. I have such a passion for social justice. So I should be the one who gets to avoid suffering. And the Bible goes, nope. I should be the one who gets to be put up on the podium. Everything in the work world should be working out for me perfectly and flawlessly. Nope. Nope. Here's what we're promised on this side of eternity. The presence of God filling us with peace and love and joy and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And that, listen to me, is wholeheartedly sustainable for every other thing in life that we're going to walk through. See, he had the same mindset that we're born up with, this field day mindset. This caste system mindset. Whoever has the most blue stars, whoever has the most notches on their belt, whoever has the most blue stars on the back of their ribbon from how hard they work out in the field and how consistent they are, that should determine how good life goes. And God's here saying, here's what determines how good life goes, being in the presence of the Father. Partying with the Father. Going out into the field and working. See, we don't get the rest of the story, but the rest of the story is at some point the party would die down and that younger rebellious brother would put on his work boots and he'd go out and work with the father. But because of grace, that field would no longer be a place to compete, but instead it would be a place like my little son Benji to enjoy. The work of the Father. We've been called to do work on this side of eternity. We've been called to do some difficult things as the body of Christ. The Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, go into all the world, preach the gospel, making disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have been given a great commission, but let me remind us as a church, because this whole series is about who we are as a church, the Great Commission is nothing more than a means to an end, which is this, Great Communion. The Great Commission is only to restore communion, one human being to God and another. That's it. That, it's back to Genesis. The whole purpose of us doing work, field work, going out and taking on the burdens that God has called us to share with Jesus as his disciples. The reason we can do that with joy instead of thinking that we are owed something is because we know we're helping lead people back to a party. The only reason we work out in the field, if we're going to go out in the field, is to use our talents and our gifts and our abilities to continue to cultivate out in God's field more resource so we can throw a bigger party for more people. That's it. And you will lose joy and you will, you will fall to this, this, this petty little thing called self-righteousness 
when you start to think that the only reason we do things for the glory of God is to make the party bigger and grander, not just for you, but for everybody else around. That is the only motivating factor. There is none other. God could care less about you getting everything right. God could care less about what party you are politically. God could care less about making sure you prove your theology correct to everyone and that you're on the right side of all the issues. We go nuts over that. We get so self-righteous over all that stuff. I'm preaching to myself, not just you guys. We do that all the time and God's like, listen, the only reason I want you to go out and love people so radically and take care of people so radically out in the field is so that we can cultivate more to have a bigger party. So it goes on to say this, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. I picture God going, oh, you just said slave? (laughs) Slavery is the ultimate manifestation of oppression on planet Earth. That terminology is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Slavery in any form is the antithesis of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his older son, just literally out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? He just said, I've been slaving for you. I've earned this party. And God goes, oh man, I love you so much, Pharisees. But you're missing a party because you think it's about performing and you think it's about blue stars. And he says, yet you've never given me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, he starts to talk away from his resume and onto his poor resume, comparison trap, right? Comes home, what do you do? You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, and listen to this. I heard a pastor on a podcast this week say this. He was asked his life verse. And it caught me off guard. I was just listening to it. And he literally, because I knew I was preaching this this week, he literally said, this was his life verse. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. That was his life verse. And I started thinking, that's a pretty good one to have right there. I'm like, I'm going to steal that one. He says, I'll throw you a party anytime you want. I'd love to throw you a party. You, you thought you had to do enough work and, and never screw up and never leave the house and never have a bad moment to deserve a fattened calf or a party? No, 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 no. Everything we do out in this field isn't to earn anything. It's to create a bigger party. And if you want me to throw a party, everything I have is yours, man. Everything I have is yours. He says this, but hey, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. He's pleading with him to confront his self-righteous wrong mindset. And this weekend, if we're gonna be the church, we're called to be. If you're new here, let me say this again. We exist to make heaven more crowded by being a front porch for prodigals. And I want you to know this, the degree of effectiveness that we have on our front porch is completely contingent upon the degree of health we have in our backyard. We cannot be a self-righteous church that thinks it's about working and winning blue stars, that it's about being better than other churches down the road, that thinks it's about how well we perform and how good we are at rules and regs. Listen, rules and regs matter, but they're a means to a greater end, which is partying. When God in the garden said, don't eat from that tree, it wasn't to destroy the party, it was to enhance the party. It was to keep the party from ending. Do you know the party ended after they ate the apple? So anytime you have rules or regs, just as a quick balancing statement, anytime you're reading about rules and regs in the Bible, it's not God trying to oppress you and hold you down. It's trying to keep the party going. Knowing that if you go there, the party ends. The cops show up and say, good night, we're done. 
Sorry, that's just my high school experience. Okay. <laughs> so there's this really interesting concept that has blessed my heart, and I want to share it with you. In the Old Testament, there was some language that the prophets and King Solomon, even in the book of Proverbs, used around the trade of being a silversmith. And it was called, it was this word in the, in the process of purifying silver and gold and other precious metals, but particularly silver, there's this, there's this word called dross. There's even one point in the scriptures where a prophet prays, beautiful poetic prayer, God, sweep away the dross from Israel. Sweep it away, get it away. And everyone back then, because that was such a common trade, everyone knew what was being talked about. Dross is the toxicity and the impurities that come out of the silver. And dross is what happens when they're doing the purifying process. So let, let's just say you got a chunk of silver and it's part pure and it's like us, born into this world, part pure and part toxic by the sin that we're created with, right? So what happens is they get a very hot bowl of boiling water and they put the silver in there. And what happens is that hot water separates the purity from the toxicity and the toxic, uh, toxicity called dross comes to the top. And it's tons of bubbles in this big thing that they drop it in and then the silversmith will sweep away the dross. And then here's what they do. They pull out the silver and they let it breathe. And this is the process God has all of, all of us on. They pull out the silver, they let it breathe. They turn up the heat while the silver's breathing because they got to get the deeper toxins now. So we need a little more heat. And after it's breathed, had a moment, they put it back in. Now here's what happens. Less dross comes to the surface this time, but it's more toxic. It's more deadly. They sweep it away. They take it out. They let it breathe. They turn up the heat. As hot as it's going to go for round three, they put it back in. Now, here's what's interesting. The least, hardly any dross comes to the top, but it is deadly how toxic it is because they're getting the deepest impurities out and then they sweep it away and then they've got a precious metal to do something really beautiful with. The last step in the human heart, the last bit of dross in the human heart, I promise you, is self-righteousness. It is the least visible Therefore, it is the most dangerous. The least amount of bubbles will surface. The least amount of stuff in your life will surface for everyone to see. And yet it's the most dangerous in every one of our hearts. Everyone sees the adulterer. Everyone sees the tax collector and the sinner. That's the first step. That's just the dross that's huge, but it's not even that toxic. What's really toxic is the gossip and the slander and the backbiting with Christianese attached to it. So we sound good. That's self-righteousness, thinking that you somehow are owed something that another people group or another person in a socioeconomic status or another person of another color doesn't deserve because you've got certain notches on your belt. That's the most dangerous, toxic thing. Nothing will destroy the party more than that. You miss the party. The drunkards, the adulterers, the thieves, the frauds, the tax collectors, they didn't miss the party. The Pharisees missed the party. And you know what I want people in here that have been a Christian for 30 years now? I want you to party, man. I'm 20 years into this, and I never loved Jesus more. And the only way I'm going to keep growing and enjoying this thing called life is if I constantly confront that temptation in me because now I've got a few notches on my pastoral belt to think that God owes me something. He owes me nothing, and yet he gives me everything. Everything he has is mine. He says, 
And if you're at any of our campuses and you say, Chad, man, that's me right now. I'm 25 years into this and my kids aren't serving Jesus. And my atheist friends just got mad because their kid went to young adults and found Jesus. And you're going, my kids can't? Theirs can? And you start to play this game in your head. And we don't want to, but it's just part of the, the, the gravitational pull of our sin nature is to just think that, man, we're owed something. And God's like, no, you're not owed anything. But everything I have is a gift for you. And until you get to the posture and the place where you can see the kingdom that way, you will ironically sabotage God's party and God's blessing on your life. When you think you've earned it and deserve it most, you will become most frustrated and angry because you're thinking like a slave and not like a son or a daughter. So there's this guy, and I end with this. Band, you can come out at all of our campuses. A guy named the Apostle Paul. If you're new to church, he wrote a bunch of the New Testament, so we quote him all the time. And there's this one moment where Jesus saves his soul, just like he saved my soul at one point. And he literally knocked him off a horse. In fact, that's where we get the term being knocked off your high horse. He knocked him off a horse. He went blind. Jesus used that three days of him being blind to show him how far he had gotten away from the true gospel. And so Jesus woos Paul to him. He gets saved by Jesus's grace. Nothing more, nothing less. And here's what Paul was before that moment he got knocked off the horse. He was a Hall of Fame professional field there. Okay. And after he retired from field day and went into gospel day, here's what he wrote in Philippians 3. And that's about it, friends. Be glad in God. Rejoice in God. I'm reading from the paraphrase called The Message because it's beautiful. He says, I don't mind repeating what I've written in earlier letters, and I hope you don't mind hearing it again. Better safe than sorry. So here it goes. Steer clear of barking dogs. Those religious busybodies all bark and no bite. All they're interested in is appearances. Knife-happy circumcisers, I call them. The real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads to work away at this ministry. Filling, I love this, filling the air with Christ's praise as we do it. That's what partiers do. That's what Christ followers that know the gospel do. We fill the air everywhere we go with Christ's praise. Not entitlement. Not God owes us something. We couldn't carry this off, Paul says, by our own efforts, and we know it, even though we can list what many might think are impressive credentials. Here he goes. He's going to go back into his past and list his credentials. You know my pedigree. Legitimate birth. Blue star. Circumcised on the eighth day. Ouch. An Israelite from the elite, not just a tribe, the blue star tribe of Benjamin, right? a strict and devout adherent to God's law, another blue star, a fiery defender of what? Purity of my religion, blue star, Paul, you win. Even to the point of persecuting the church, blue star, Paul, good job. A meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. Paul's like, I'm not just a field day professional. I was a hall of famer. And he says, I ripped this thing up, man, when Jesus found me. I don't go by blue stars and I don't go by earning things and I don't go by performance. I am who I am because I'm a product of the gift of Jesus Christ. He says the very credentials, these people are waving around like, remember the, remember the older brother in the backyard giving his dad his credentials? He says the very credentials these people are waving around is something special. I'm tearing up and I'm throwing out with the trash along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Real simple, because of Christ. 
Yes, all things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master. Firsthand, everything I once thought going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. In 1994, there was a group of Indian farmers, not American Indian, Middle Eastern Indian, from India. Okay, good job, Chad. And there was, I think, three million tons of manure. These were farmers that were in the farming of manure and the selling of it. There were three million tons of it that got exported that year in 1994 to the Dutch. And as you would, they lost their minds because this was their livelihood. And the parliament decided that we were gonna take three million tons worth and we were gonna um, import it in from, from the Dutch. And so they got a huge truck full of the best manure that they make and they pulled it up onto the steps of parliament, much like a protest on our state capitol. And they got out these signs. The Associated Press wrote about this. And the sign said this, and they started marching all day around the truck. And the sign simply said this, our manure is better than their manure. 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 Our manure is better than their manure for days. And that right there is the older brother. Listen, some of your manure in here is way better than mine. I'll concede that. My manure is better than some of yours. I know some of you, (laughs) all right? It's manure. Your holiest attempt to make God happy via behavior is filthy rags to God. Our only hope and our only trust that we have to walk in the fullness of the life Jesus wants to have. The only hope we have for a party is to wake up every day and bring our self-centered, self-righteous hearts back to the truth, which is every breath I take is a gift. Therefore, I'm going to praise God. Every gift I have is a breath. Every opportunity I have is a breath. Commit, commit. They're going nuts at Lakewood right now. No, they're not. They're like, wrap it up, dude. This is a long one. I'm going to wrap it up right now. I'm going to honor you guys, all right? But how freeing is it? Man, this has been so freeing in my life. I finally just got tired and exhausted and old enough to go, man, I quit trying to impress. And I still come back to it, and I still have to reframe my mind, and I still get back into performance mode sometimes. I'm like you. I'm human. But real life, exciting life is when you finally just decide, you know what? I fully trust Christ for my righteousness. And some days I'm going to practically live really righteous. And some days I'm going to do some self-destructive things. Some days I'm going to do some self-righteous things. But I'm going to keep coming back to the cross of Jesus because that's the only place you will ever find a party on this side of heaven. A real party, a party that doesn't destroy you. A party that doesn't get you in a bunch of trouble. Is we, we just keep coming back to the cross and saying, Jesus, thank you. I owe you everything. And instead of me paying you back, you paid it in full with Jesus. You paid it all, literally, with Jesus. So let's go out in the field, man, and let's work. Let's have some fun. Because we're not working to earn any blue stars anymore or to get a party. The party's already there. Let's go work so more people can party. I love you all. But we're not done with Red Rocks Church. I want more people to be in our doors partying under the grace of Jesus Christ. 
I love you all. If it stopped today, praise God. Thank you. But we're not stopping at Red Rocks Church. We're going to keep going forward, preaching the good news gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to keep being a welcoming front porch for people that are hurt and wounded and addicted to drugs and don't look like you and don't smell like you and don't act like you and don't talk like you. And we're going to welcome them with open arms. And the degree that we will not let this older brother mentality be a part of our church is the degree that that front porch is so sweet and honoring to God. And there will be blessings, not just for the people coming through, but blessings for us, the older brother. I promise you that. God knows when, how, and where to throw you the perfect party for doing what you do. All he says is take my field serious because there's people out there that are still perishing. Heaven's real, hell's real. And I don't want anyone in hell. He he wants no one in hell. None. It's God's will that none perish. And I don't know theologically how that all plays out. I don't feel pressure to know. Here's where I get passionate, though. I'm going to act like I'm responsible to let everyone get there. I'm going to treat my job, and you should treat your job on the weekdays and whatever you do like you're responsible for someone's soul out there. Go out and get passionate about it. Love them like crazy. Give yourself permission not to have to get everything right and know everything and be a theological giant and be perfect at behavior. Go love people and they will know you're his disciple by the love you show him. Not by the rules you keep and the issues you get right. It's by the love you show people. Free yourself up. That's where the party's at. Let's stand and let's pray. I love you guys. I went so long. You guys are so kind. Hey, every campus, thank you. I love you guys. I love where I get to work. Thank you guys. I'm serious. I love this church. You guys are so, I'm not going to keep going, but thank you. That's the shouting down I'm looking for. I just don't want to walk off here without saying thank you. Because I, I, I love you as well, man. Thank you. We're having a moment at Littleton, Brussels. It's beautiful. They're so not emotional over in Brussels. They're like, what is going on right now? (laughs) We're going to get your hearts, guys. Jesus, would you bless this last bit of time we have of worship before we walk out of here? God, I know everyone's got stuff to do, and I know we've been in here for a bit, but how cool would it be if all of our campuses right now, we wouldn't care about that. We would just stop, and we would just say thank you for all you've done. Thank you for the gift of grace. Jesus, I pray as we begin to sing to you, you would sit enthroned and it would feel like a party for you because we're so grateful for all you've done for us and we're so thankful for this this, this undefinable yet very real grace that you've shown us, grace that we can't even fully get right and, and steward properly yet because it's so overwhelmingly beautiful and good. Help us to worship from that posture in these next few minutes. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen at all campuses. Let's worship.